Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon. First, I'd just like to see if we've got anybody in the room who would like to stay for the Auslan interpretation. If you could just come down the front um, and then we'll start the lunchtime talk. All right, today we're very lucky to have a visitor guest here in Adelaide to talk to us about some, some works in this collection. First, I'd just like to acknowledge we're on the land of the Ghana people and that we respect their spiritual connection to this land that we meet on here. Um, so I'd also like to introduce Caroline Rothwell, who's here with us. She's visiting us from Sydney and we're lucky that she's here to judge the fellowship between Guildhouse and the Diama and James Ram oh, Ramsey Foundation, um, which is first year. It's first year today. So Caroline is one of the judges for that. And um, she also has two works in this new display here called Fromage. The first one is over here called Cascade. So we may be twisting a little bit. Um, people, if we can just follow Caroline with her with our eyes. And we're here because this is her other work, which is in the display as well. So thank you for coming and I'll hand over to you. Thanks so much. Hi everyone. What an what a amazing group of people. Thank you so much for turning up. Um, I always love coming to Adelaide because it's such an engaged gallery. There's just so many exciting things happening here. Um, and I'm always honoured in the shows that to be part of the shows that are put on because they're always incredibly rigorous. Um, actually, I did come to talk about this work. Um, so I might just, I'll start here and then maybe move over there. Um, because this piece, Cascade, was first shown in the 2014 um, Dark Heart Biennale, or biennial. Um, so maybe I'll just talk to both. And then this piece, Transmutation, was very exciting when the gallery um, bought this because this is a, basically the first sort of big significant bronze that I ever made and sat stuck on the mortgage um, and <laughs> when the gallery acquired it, a huge um, sigh of relief to me. Um, so I'm, I've lived in Australia for 15 years. I found a New Zealander on a beach in Europe that I ended, who I ended up marrying and we had moved to this side of the world. Um, and I'm trained as a sculptor in London and then via New York and Auckland where I did my master's degree. So I come at my art practice, you know, I was in the late, in the early 90s, 90s finished my studying. So I've, I've been a practitioner full time, you know, for decades now. Um, and a lot of my work is, comes out of the form of sculpture, but also questioning questioning materials, questioning media. I, I'm really interested in what media means. So there'll be imagery within the work, but the material of the work and the process of fabrication and production is equally as important to me. It's what the ideas are all wrapped up in that process. So for this piece, Transmutation, um, I'm really interested in, in dialogues between art and science. I, my family, are all, I come from a background of scientists, so I've always tried to see myself as maybe some, well, it's where my head, it's what my head is interested in, in exploring. So I, I, I often look at data and sort of the, the, the scientific 
happenings around us, not necessarily even the scientific happenings, but the contemporary conundrums. I mean, you know, one of our biggest contemporary conundrums is the environment and our relationship with it. I will always try and find ways of analysing that through a visual medium. And I also am really interested in looking to history, whether it's art history or visual cultural history, to start the story. So for me, image is politics, you know, how we represent, uh, um, how we represent land, how we represent environment, how we represent what is in front of us. It's power, you know, whoever, whoever is writing history, drawing history, that they, they have the voice. So I'm always very interested in looking at that voice, looking at the historical voice and, and using that as a lens to analyse where we are right now. So this piece, I was actually looking at Vesalius, who was um, uh, the artist who basically started exploring the human body in a scientific, a scientist, scientific anaesthetic way. So, you know, I was really drawing on his mode of representation. Um, and then also I, I use a lot of, um, I, I collect images. I'm like a, a cuckoo of image collecting. So I've been, I, I, I call it a mashup. I, ha, I often have a mashup of ideas within an idea. So this is, you know, this is a formal sculptural bronze response to um, to the figure. Um, but it's equally, I've replaced the head with, a, a, I suppose, a, a Rococo mirror form. Um, there is no mirror. I, I, I don't want to necessarily tie down the meaning, but I'm really interested in the, you know, the mirror for humans, is a, it's a reflection of us. Um, and then there, sitting on top of the mirror, is this bird of prey that I've sourced from another little art historical game. I, there's lots of games within the work that I just, you know, people may or may not pick up on. But so, you know, the, the and the, my processes for making these sculptures is basically that I, I create a fabric, a canvas mold. Um, so my methodology, even though I end up with a two and a half meter sculpture, is I'm coming at it from a process of, a, a slightly unique process, I suppose. So, because I basically sew this fabric mold and then I pour a casting medium into the fabric, which is what pumps up all this strange form so that it, it kind of looks like an inflatable. Um, it almost looks like you could kind of pick it up and lift it away. Um, but then you translate that into bronze and it becomes this sort of, you know, formal monument um, that plays with ideas of lightness and um, volume, um, but actually sort of slightly defies its materiality. Um, so that's this piece, Transmutation. I'm also very interested in, as I said, ideas around materiality. So I called this Transmutation because I was spending a lot of time um, looking at Newton and also Darwin's ideas around adaptation. Um, but, but Newton was, um, one of the reasons I love Isaac Newton is, you know, he was an extraordinary mathematician, but at the same time, he was also a spiritualist and um, was really interested in alchemy. And I was really interested in that idea of actually being able to hold these kind of conflicting ideas sort of in the air at once. And I think that's something that's really important for us now is to be actually, not to be quite so siloed in our territories, but is actually to be, 
you know, thinking, thinking kind of spiritualism, thinking rigorous mathematics, thinking, you know, sort of adaptation through materials. So that the term transmutation actually means trying to change a base material into another material, which is what alchemy was. So I was really interested in that idea of sort of a form of alchemy within this piece. Um, and then maybe if I meander over here, have a little chat, and then I'll just, and please, anyone who wants to interrupt me and ask a question, do, any time. Um, but I'll meander over and maybe talk about this piece quickly. Now, I'm, a, I'm allowed to do this, but apparently you're not. <laughs> But um, so this this piece is is almost the opposite in terms of the materiality. You know that piece has got the authority of bronze and that whole art historical sort of legwork that goes with bronze. It immediately has authority. This one is almost the reverse, um, and it's basically a big piece of PVC that I've just attacked with a scalpel, um, and you know it rolls up. One of the things about making art, especially sculpture. I don't know if there's any sculptors here, but you end up with an awful lot of stuff. And then you have storage issues, and then if you're trying to have an international career, you have transport issues. Um, I mean, this is a very practical logistic response, but I actually, I was doing these very large wall drawing works, very large sculptures, and then I had great difficulty moving them. So I actually decided to start playing around with, um, you know, form that actually could either roll up or puff up. You know, I've, I've made a series of inflatables, up to 12 meter inflatables that basically just, you know, rock down into a little box, you plug them in and it's an instant monument. So I'm really interested in that idea of the monument and the anti-monument. But, so with this, this piece, I just started with a one sheet of PVC. It's a Ferrari based actually, um, industrial fabric, and then I, I'm always questioning ideas of sculpture. In the past, I've often, you know, made a cutout so that it's, you know, there's a lot of negative space. With this one, I started thinking, I'd, and I'd look at all the excess on the floor, and I'd think, oh, that's actually really interesting. How can I, how can I kind of maintain that honesty to material, as that ideas of truth to materials? I thought, well, actually, maybe I just won't cut anything away. I'll just actually create this image, but then actually leave everything hanging so that it cascades, you know, that's the name of the work, so it cascades down the front. So this may look very painterly, but for me it's a really sculptural process. You know, it's actually, it's, it's a scalpel and it's, you know, it's actually basically me just getting RSI, cutting and cutting and cutting into this work. Um, and this again is this idea of the mashup of imagery. Um, it's quite a, it's almost like a, it's quite a romantic image to me. It's, um, you know, it's got these, these stairways and this almost like this trellis form, but, and it's got, again, imagery, these little skeletons that have been picked out of little art, art historical sort of map making scenarios. But I've also been looking a lot at, at geoengineering. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that term. It's, um, for those of you who are, I'll just give a, uh, forgive me, but I'll give a quick overview. It's basically, it's, um, 
It's an industrial response to climate change. So it's what, there's a huge amount of research being done into geoengineering at present, which is, um, so instead of actually trying to reduce um, and stop doing things in response to ch climate change, these are ideas like putting mirrors into space to reflect sunlight back um, into space. They're things like, um, stratospheric particle injection systems that you'd have heard of probably cloud seeding. It's things like where basically you'll put titanium dioxide into the clouds which, um, which whitens the clouds and then reflects the sun back into space to you know, effectively cool the planet. It's things like pumping a little bit of, um, um, I can't remember the gas, I think it's um, some sort of nitrous oxide into a cloud to seed it so it basically the droplets gather around that little bit of chemical in the cloud and it basically rains right there at, at that time so it's a very very powerful scenario this idea of colonizing the weather you know we're interested particularly interested in Australia at the present uh, in the kind of colonization story which is a relief you know, to be having that conversation. But the next big story is actually the colonization of, of the weather. Because whoever, whoever owns the weather, they actually own the kind of food source, they own the water supply. And there's an enormous amount of um, under, uh, you know, an enormous amount of governmental work, particularly in China and the States around these industrial processes. And a lot of them, the imagery that is, um, represented through this process this is quite utopian. If you just have a Google of geoengineering, you'll find this amazing research and utopian imagery. So I was very interested in kind of feeding that into this. So these, you know, these things like the little hot air balloons and the, um, these stacks, these are all thinking about, it's using that imaging from this geoengineering um, data and research that's going on. Um, and again, just playing with it, sort of mashing it up into this form. So it's this big painterly drawing in response to that. And with using quite an industrial um, material. So I could, I was gonna say I could have done this as a painting, but actually I couldn't because I'm not a painter. So it's, it, I am interested in, in imagery and, and a narrative, but through a very sculptural process. Maybe, um, Maybe I'll open it up to questions. Hi. Yeah. No, it's a really good question. I actually, I do, I do a lot of my thinking on the computer. So I've got, I've got a whole series of drawings in Photoshop that I'm always playing with and building up. Um, and then I'll, I'll draw just in chalk or wax or something onto this from those images onto, I'll sketch it all out, I'll map it all out onto the PVC. Um, but then it's, I, it, it's actually gets quite, I improvise at that point. And, and the interesting thing is, if I get something wrong, you know, the PVC is totally unforgiving. You know, like I accidentally sliced across the top of the head there and it kind of, and it um, flopped down, but it, so you can't really make a, a mistake with the PVC because gravity is, is pulling everything down. So if you, if you, which is why this industrial PVC is amazing because it's called a ripstop. 
which basically means that you can't rip it. Like, it's just so strong. Um, and, it's, and it doesn't fray. It's got this incredible kind of rigorous weave. But yes, I, um, I do sketch it out, but then I kind of develop it as I'm going. Hi. It's all one sheet, yeah, yeah. And I actually, I've got a plan at the moment to do a really huge one that's sort of almost like a scroll that you can kind of um, unroll and re-roll and get sort of, it's almost like a map that you can just, that, I, well, I just basically want to be able to keep going with it. Um, yeah. Mm. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, it's just, you know, it's always an honor to be here at the gallery. It's wonderful with your wonderful um, new director, Rana. Very exciting next stage for the gallery. So, yeah, thank you for having me and thank you. Yeah. Sorry, to, to who? Oh, that's an interesting... Yeah, that, that you were actually not the first to make a connection. Um, I mean, I, I, I love her work, and I think, I think we are looking at ideas of sort of evolution and science. We definitely have that in common. Um, and I love the world that she creates. Um, I don't... I wasn't, I wasn't particularly, you know, I did, don't feel I was kind of, no, I don't necessarily think about her response, but I, I actually do really like her way with those kind of industrial finishes and um, medias that she, the processes she used, yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, do you bring into your work any ethics of, of your own personal beliefs regarding um, geoengineering? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I think yes, and I, but I also think I also feel like I'm kind of tracking data um, and putting it out there into the world to be discussed. I think, I think as soon as you turn something into a large black kind of iconic mapping system, um, well, I don't know, maybe it doesn't actually have a, have a positive or negative. I, I don't really want to have a didactic response to what's going on around us because I actually think we're in a really sort of strange ideological time at the moment where people are really tribalized and there's not much dialogue between one belief and another belief. And I'm really interested in trying to open up dialogue and actually just make things known and so that people can come to an idea and start to explore it. Um, I mean, I've been, I think this is two pieces from my body of work. I've, I've got a whole series of works where I work with pollution so I do all these um, paintings usually using pollutants. Um, and I'm often painting or reinventing species, which is actually getting back to the Patricia Piccinini idea, because I do think we have ideas in parallel. Um, 
I'm really interested in tracking species as they become endangered or go extinct, and I represent that through pollution. And I, I you know, I'll collect pollution, or people start sending me pollutants now, whether it's from smokestacks in Philadelphia or from the rear end of them at Holden Monaro that's just got an amazing amount of emission in the back of it. And, and I use that to create artwork. I, I don't know if you've heard of the term lamp black. It's a Victorian term for a black pigment. Basically, that was just the process of taking black carbon out of the inside of lamps and mixing it with a binder medium to make a paint. So that's exactly what I do, is I actually just get the gunk out of an exhaust pipe or out of a, um, you know, whatever emission it is and mix it with a binder medium to stabilize it and make it a paint. So you can, I'm really interested in drawing people into a work. So, you know, say for instance, those paintings, you could look at them and think, oh, what a lovely natural history painting. And it looks a bit wrong, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not quite right. Um, but then actually you read the side of the painting and it's kind of, you know, exhaust emission, Toyota Corolla collected, you know, the date and, and it's also got the species next to it. So I think, I think in terms of the body of the work, you can probably see that I'm coming at something from a point of uh, awareness. But I never necessarily try and be morally... Uh, knocking people on the head and saying this is what you should be doing because I'm, you know, you always hope that that's what the art can do, take people along for a conversation and then just keep it, keep it, um, keep it out there, keep it part of the di uh, dialogue. It's a long-winded response to a short question. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to us, Caroline. And it's so wonderful to hear straight from the artists as well.